This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Suzanne Franzen, an assistant professor of evolutionary biology at the Ludwig Maximilians Universität in Munich, Germany. We'll be discussing vertical transmission of Lishmania and phantom parasites in hunting dogs in the United States. Welcome, Dr. Franzen. Hello, thanks a lot for having me. What is a Lishmania and phantom parasite? So Lishmania and phantom is a range of several species, all from the genus Lishmania, and they are protozoan parasites, which means they are single-celled parasites, but they are um, not bacteria, but they are eukaryotic cells. So basically, they're different from bacteria in the way that they have a nucleus like also other plants and animals, the type of cells they have. And Lishmania and phantom is one species among several of the genus Lishmania. And these parasites in general, so not only in phantom, but also other species of it, they can infect humans and other mammals. And they do this by entering the bloodstream and infecting blood cells such as macrophages. Also, this parasite has two life stages. So there's an amastigote stage, and this is the one in the mammalian or also including the human host. And um, this enters the bloodstream and it will even enter the blood cells such as macrophages and they will replicate in those and then come out and infect other cells. This infection can cause the disease leishmaniasis, but it can also be asymptomatic. And the second life stage is the promastigote stage. And this is the stage that is typically responsible for transmission via the vector, which is an insect vector. And this is in endemic areas, the main route of transmission, and there the parasite is in the digestive tract of the insect and get transferred by blood meals in subsequent hosts. You mentioned leishmaniasis. What is that? Leishmaniasis is the disease caused by leishmania infections, and it belongs to the NTDs, which stands for neglected tropical diseases. And in general, for leishmaniasis, there are three main forms of the disease that are largely associated with a genus of Lishmania that a host is infected with. So the first class is cutaneous Lishmaniasis, which basically can be disfiguring and scarring skin lesions that can range um, very strongly in severity. And the second class is mucosal Lishmaniasis, basically where the parasite mainly infects mucosal tissues such as in the nose or around the mouth basically destroying these tissues. And the last form is visceral leishmaniasis, and this infects internal organs such as the liver or the spleen and bone marrow. And typically this disease is deadly without any treatment, and it also includes fever, enlargement of the spleen and liver, anemia, strong anemia, weight loss. And what's the natural vector for this awful parasite? Generally, these parasites are transmitted by sand flies, more specifically phlebotomine sand flies. And there are several families in general that are known that can transmit Lishmania, and often they are kind of geographic region specific. And they're also kind of specific typically for the species of this Lishmania parasite that they can transmit. Are there any of these infected sand flies in the United States? It is known that in the United States there are some sandfly species present, 
that have been shown in laboratory conditions that they could transmit infection with leishmania. However, there have been surveillance studies, several looking at the infection status of these sand flies in the UNS, and leishmania basically never has been detected in those. So currently, there's really no evidence for leishmania infecting sand flies in the US or even transmitting it. And yes, in general, this is also kind of a complicated topic of vector competence, basically the ability of a vector, so in our case, the sand fly, to transmit a parasite because it is a very complex trait that depends on a lot of factors. So even if it's demonstrated in the laboratory, which I have said, it doesn't mean that this occurs in the field because it would depend on the prevalence of infected animals, of abundance of the vector in the wild, how often they co-occur. Even other factors like the microbiome of the parasite could play a role and infection loads. So as I said, although it has been observed that in the lab this sandfly is able to do it, it has never been found in the field, basically in the U.S. Yeah, the other aspect I'm just going to mention later. Okay. Your study was actually kind of looking at vertical transmission. Explain the difference between vector transmission and vertical transmission. Basically, vector transmission always means that the parasite is transmitted between hosts only via vector. And in our case, this is the insect vector, so the sand fly. So in order to be transmitted from one human to another or between other mammals, the sand fly has to have a blood meal on an infected host and then has to subsequently feed on an uninfected individual. So and in this way, it's passing on the infection between hosts, but it cannot occur directly between hosts, so between humans. On the other hand, vertical transmission is a way where the parasite is directly transmitted from an infected host to another infected host. And in the case of vertical transmission, this is transplacental from mother to embryo, fetus or baby during the pregnancy or during birth. So basically, it's directly transmitted from mother to offspring, basically before or while the baby is being born. Going back to leishmaniasis or leishmania and phantom parasite not being found much in the United States that's infecting people, where is it usually found? Leishmaniasis in general, which I've said can be caused by several species of leishmania, the foci where it's most prevalent are really Brazil, India and Africa. However, it can also be present in the Mediterranean, Europe or Asia. And the different geographic regions that where Lishmania is endemic are really associated with different species. So Lishmania and Phantom that we are discussing mainly here is otherwise present in Mediterranean Europe, where it is nowadays mainly infecting dogs or also other wild animals and not so much humans. And it's also present in Asia and otherwise mainly in Brazil. Your study was looking at hunting dogs. Is this relatively new to the U.S.? Well, relatively, maybe, yes. But the first case was identified in the 1980s, where they identified a dog with no travel history outside the United States that had been infected. And then subsequently, in so it wasn't much of an issue afterwards, I guess, but in 1999, there had been a larger disease outbreak again in hunting dogs in the U.S. 
And in this case, the CDC started to do more prompted, basically, an investigation to determine the burden of the disease in U.S. hunting dogs. So relatively new, but has been around several years already. So again, your study was about vertical transmission and hunting dogs. How was it discovered? I think initially it has been discovered by these two events that I said earlier, basically where it has been detected in, in dogs that really had no travel history outside the U.S. It was clear that it must have been transmitted in the U.S. So the first one was 1980. And in the nine, 1999, it was even a much larger outbreak. And here it was kind of obvious by abnormal deaths in, do- in these hunting dogs that could not be ascribed to the normal tick-borne diseases that are found in the U.S. that could cause also death. Originally, also one of my collaborators and also a co-author on current study, Dr. Peterson and her group, they looked at, in 2008, they studied a bitch that was seropositive for leishmania. So basically, there were antibodies against leishmania found in her blood. And this was also the case for her offspring. And they also confirmed it with other means that, in fact, these pups were also also had leishmania. And here they could first kind of identify also directly in the lab that it must have been this vertical transmission. What were you looking for in particular when you did this study? Vertical transmission generally that had been known before. But um, in this study, we wanted to look at the genomes of Leishmanian phantom parasites from the U.S. to be able to kind of identify via this genetic information from where they might have been introduced. So basically, we wanted to pin down the geographic origin directly by genetic means. Clarify for me here, how did you go about establishing geographic origin? Basically, the general idea is here that we analyze the genomes of Lishmanian phantom from the U.S. and we will compare them with Lishmanian phantom samples from all over the world, from these other foci that I have described before, where they occur, that were already available. And then based on, while comparing these genomes, basically we can determine the relatedness between the U.S. parasites and the parasites from other origins, and then there, by, by this genomic information, there are kind of phylogenetic methods that kind of help you kind of reconstruct the ancestry who's related to each other. So basically, by this means, comparing it with parasites from all other regions, we could see to which they are most closely related. So basically, where they originate from. Your study actually mentions ethics because there were dogs involved. What kind of ethics were involved in your study? My co-author and collaborator, Dr. Peterson, has this approval, which is called Iowa Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee approval. And this allows her to study leishmania in these dogs, including, and this includes sampling of blood tissues, and when the owner requests also euthanasia and necroscopy. And they've been working with these kind of dog populations over 15 years, and they have built up some relationships with the owners and caretakers. So always when they do a particular study in these kennels where the dogs are being bred, they always describe the study to the owners and obtain the consent for all the work that they do. And I think for our study particularly, 
it was that licensed veterinarians collected one to five milliliter of whole blood and serum um, samples from these dogs in the kennel. So that was basically what was relevant for our study. How was your study conducted? Generally, when the blood was sampled from dogs and they were found to be infected, then these blood samples were used to initiate a Lishmania culture in the lab. And this has the purpose to kind of amplify Lishmania so that you have enough material to basically get the genomes of them to sequence them. So they are amplified via a culture in the lab. Then we extract the DNA and we perform whole genome sequencing on this DNA. And basically with these kind of whole genome sequencing methods, we obtain very many fragments of the genome that are sequenced and we do bioinformatics analysis, which was kind of also the main focus of this study, and to assess their genomic information. And then we have phylogenetic and population genetic analysis by whom we can answer our questions of interest. Dr. Franzen, what did you find? For the question, first question about the geographic origin that we wanted to answer, we found that the U.S. Lishmanian phantom samples were most closely related to each other. So this basically this tells us that for the samples at least that we sequenced, we assume that there was only a single introduction of them into the U.S. The second point is they, the next closely related samples came from Mediterranean Europe and not from Brazil. And this is kind of interesting in the way because, of course, Brazil would be geographically closer. But we can definitely say that the closest relatives were in Europe. And also for Lishmania infantum, we know that originally the infantum parasites in Brazil also originate from Europe, but already they had been introduced around 500 years ago, which um, previous um, studies suggest. But for the S samples, we know that they have been independently introduced and we could also kind of date this independent introduction from Europe. And this was only roughly in 1900 or even more recently than that. So this was one of our main aims. But additionally, with our whole genome sequencing data, we also wanted to address with this data if we can find any signatures about how the parasites are transmitted in the U.S. And for this, we did some population genomics analysis to kind of look for signatures that might be consistent with vertical transmission in the U.S. parasites only. And answering this question goes a little bit more into depth into the kind of population genomics analysis. So it's a bit more technical, but basically we found a signature that in these U.S. parasites, we have a great axis of heterozygous. So heterozygous basically means that wherever in your genome, you always have two copies of everything. And if you have a position where one copy differs from the other, this is basically a polymorphism. So we call it a heterozygous position when there are two positions different. So in this population, we had a great axis of those which kind of could be an indication that no sexual reproduction is occurring in the parasite. An additional thing that suggested that no sexual reproduction is occurring in the parasite is a lack of evidence for recombination. And recombination is when parental copies are stitched together 
when they're from both parents when they're passed on to the offspring. And and this also only occurs during sexual reproduction. So basically we had two in indices that sexual reproduction is not happening. And this is um, significant because we do know from previously that the Lishmania parasite in the human or mammalian host only reproduces clonally and never sexually. And the sexual reproduction can only happen in the sandfly rectum. So by observing kind of lack of sexual reproduction of the Lishmania parasite, we also have some further genetic evidence that we think that indeed it is not transmitted by the sandfly vector because this kind of reproduction could only happen in the sandfly vector. Were there any surprises? Yeah, I was quite intrigued by this very high heterozygosity rate, which prompts several questions that we could look at in um, further studies. And I think for those generally, some more sampling also of European samples would be required. Given the number of parasites that we sequenced from the US, which was unfortunately not very big, maybe it's not surprising, but I was a bit surprised that they were all of a single origin because I could have imagined that hunting dogs, there's quite a trade or they're quite more frequently exchanged. And I would have thought that potentially uh, more than one introduction could have happened. But I guess as we didn't sequence a huge number of U.S. parasites yet, if more were to be sequenced, that picture could change. But so I was a bit surprised by that. But I think it also shows that there's some more research that could help us understand even the dynamics even better. I imagine there were challenges in finding this information. What were they? I mean, for, as for bioinformatics analysis, I would say there were just the typical challenges that always when you find a very unusual signature in the genomic data that you kind of have to check that it cannot be due to any technical artifacts. Then, I mean, maybe interpreting the results, this is a little bit challenged by Maybe the limited sample numbers, as I explained before, we found a single origin, but if we had looked into many more samples from also different um, breeds of hunting hounds, could we have found multiple introductions? I mean, another challenge is maybe a little bit the extent to which we can interpret the results. Uh, as we said, we didn't find any evidence for sexual reproduction of the parasite. This means it's no sandfly vector was involved, but unfortunately, this information is not completely quantitative. So we cannot completely rule something out. This is a bit, yeah, challenges in, in the ways of how you can interpret the data, basically. What do you think is the most important public health aspect of this study? I think generally it says that, or it indicates that it is very important to screen dogs that are imported from Lishmania endemic countries for their Lishmania infection status. And this is not only because the dog itself would be infected, but it's also possible that it's kind of transmitted to further offspring and kind of causes suffering in the dogs and also, I think, some financial problems for, for the owner. But it can also be passed on to other dogs and generally, um, we have seen that it didn't cause any further problems, which could have occurred when the um, parasite was also transmitted 
by sand fly vectors. But our signature, genomic signature, basically that we found in differentiating if a parasite might be vertically vector transmitted, this could be a possibility to kind of look into these kind of signatures further to potentially even identify some diagnostic marker where you kind of could say this parasite that we observed here was vertically versus vector transmitted. And if you would know this information, you could have some kind of more targeted intervention methods in the future. But this is kind of something that could be potentially done in the future if we were to put some more research into this direction. Can these vertically transmitted infected dogs infect people? Theoretically, it is possible through blood-to-blood contact. So, for example, there have been very rare case reports where leishmania has been transmitted between dogs horizontally, which means they're not related to each other, but during which have, could have happened during dog fights where maybe they have wounds and they exchange blood in this way. However, in the U.S., we don't find any people that are infected. And, I mean, generally, there is no, no blood contact. And also, it, is, um, it would also depend on several factors, factors, like the infection load and how much blood would be transferred to get infected. So, so far, it has not been detected as a problem, but I think it would be sensible to vo- avoid blood contact with infected animals. Is there a treatment for these infected dogs? Yeah, so there are some treatments available that in the US it is allopurinol or miltefacine. However, miltefacine is quite costly and therefore not usual treatment in this cohort that my collaborator is working with. What about for people? I know people aren't getting it in the US, but in other regions of the world. So, in general, there are also several drugs available, which include pentavalent antimonials, liposomal amphitocerin B, and also metaphosine, however, and also a range of some other drugs. However, the problem here is that all of these drugs have very toxic side effects. You're in Europe. How did you become involved in a study about U.S. hunting dogs? So this is basically through our collaborator, um, Dr. Christine Peterson from the University of Iowa. So as I had several times mentioned her during the study, so she has been working with these dog cohorts for over 15 years. And she has been looking at also a multitude of aspects of leishmania in these dog populations. And when I started working on leishmania, I just started in the UK at at the Welcome Sanger Institute. And there was a group for parasite genomics. And we did a lot of population genomics studies. And we kind of specialized on this particular parasite. Tell us about your career path and your job. Originally, I started the study of bioinformatics in Frankfurt in Germany. And then I went on to do my PhD also in Germany. And here I focus on evolutionary genomics and particularly genome-wide sequencing to understand evolution in natural populations. I also continued on this general topic in my first postdoc, which I did in Vienna. And here I looked particularly more at population genomics and also experimental evolution, basically where we use Drosophila as a model species to 
have them evolve over several generations. And then when I did my second postdoc at the Sanger Institute in the UK, I used this kind of population genomics expertise to study Lishmania. And basically now in my current position as assistant professor at the university in Munich, I basically combine this population genomics of Lishmania and experimental evolution, but also continue to work with collaborators that work with Lishmania in particular settings like the U.S. setting in the field to have some more also to have also have some data for clinical and epidemiological relevance. What's the most interesting thing you've ever worked on? That's a little bit tricky to say. So, I mean. As a bioinformatics and person doing genomics analysis, what I'm generally always fascinated about is observing evolution and its dynamics in real time even by looking at the genome sequences and using population genetic models to kind of predict what should be happening if something is beneficial and then seeing how things like this or what we expect um, happen in real time. And so this is kind of what generally interests me. And then when I started also working with Lishmania, I'm, I was quite interested in this kind of health relevance, though what I'm concerned with is rather the basic research that is not directly relating into clinical settings or something they like. And therefore, also very much like the collaborations with Dr. Peterson, for example, about the U.S. hunting hounds in the U.S., but I also have a collaborator, Dr. Krop, which is directly working in Ethiopia, and she has more kind of immunological and clinical expertise, and we kind of complement this with kind of using genomes and population genomics to answer them some complementary questions that they're also interested in. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Franson. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the June 2022 article, Geographic Origin and Vertical Transmission of Lishmania and Phantom Parasites and Hunting Hounds, United States, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.